Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good day? Yeah, awesome. Me too. It was awesome. Even with the rain and stuff, it's pretty, pretty awesome. So I've enjoyed hanging out with you guys this week. It is really hard to believe that this is our last night in here together. Kind of stinks, you know, because I'm just getting used to all of you. Anybody coming back next week? All right. Okay, I'll see you guys next week. Those of you coming back, mainly counselors raising their hands, but that's okay. Um, I spent some time last night before I went to bed going through this cards of people who had surrendered their lives to Jesus yesterday and just praying over them, praying for you if you were one of those people. And it was kind of a thick stack. I was kind of surprised, and I just counted them up. There are 42 people last night who said that they surrendered their lives to Jesus, and that just blows me away. And it's a constant reminder to me as I travel and speak at things that I'm not in control of any of that stuff. I could, I could take the same, even though I won't, because other camps don't have the same themes, but I could take the same theme to another camp, preach the exact same messages word for word, completely different response. It could be one person coming to Christ. It could be 100 people coming to Christ. It, the, the results are always up to God, and he leaves that choice up to us because there's no true love without choice. I think it's cool, but I, I love that God saw fit to do what he did last night and to see many of you... Um, freed from stuff. I, I was looking at these boards, and I snuck around and looked at this board, too, and just see some of the stuff you're, you're writing on the board. And I want to encourage you not to pick that stuff back up. If you're giving God control of something, leave that in his hands. And I had several conversations with people uh, last night and today who were asking, asking, what happens if I mess up? Like, what, what, what if I'm 100% surrendered now, and then, then I do something else, and, and then do I slip to 95? What happens to my salvation? And the, the thing is that God's going to hold up his end of the bargain, and he's going to be faithful even when we're not. But it's way more effective when God's in control. You guys have probably heard of drones before, right? Anybody got to fly a drone before? Anybody? Yeah? Awesome. It's pretty cool. Kind of scary if you're flying somebody else's drone and it's expensive and you're like, I don't want to crash. And the early drones were terrible. Like, they, I mean, they crashed all the time. And I'd be like, dude, sorry about your drone. Thanks for letting me fly it. I got to run, you know. Um, the closest I have to a drone at my house is a little BB-8 that I can use with my phone. Kind of goes across the floor. You know, It's the $150 one. It's pretty sweet. I found it for 10 bucks at a thrift store. They didn't know what they had. I was like, yeah. Anyway, so I can, I can drive that little thing around my office or play Tetris when I'm bored, you know, either one of those things. Um, drones have a lot of different purposes, though. You might see a news article about a drone where somebody shoots one out of the sky because it flew over their farm, you know, or whatever. But drones, drones have different purposes. And depending on who's flying them depends on what purpose that the drone is going to fulfill. I've got a picture of a drone that, like, kills people. All right, we got one of those. Yeah, so we've got drones that go into, I say, yeah, about killing people. I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. Um, but drones, we send drones in where we're not going to send people, and they're just like, somebody's still flying it somewhere. It's an unmanned aerial vehicle, but at the same time, there's somebody flying it somewhere. It's still kind of manned, just manned from a distance. And when your parents are like, hey, don't play video games. You're never going to be able to use that for a living. Yes, you will. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not contradicting your parents about that at all. But we, we've got like a generation 
generation of gamers have grown up now, and you can be a soldier from a couch, and it's pretty cool. And so you got these drones. Now, that's not the greatest thing that a drone can do. You're like, what is their contribution to mankind? Killing people, knocking them out, hide in a cave. We don't care. Drones, you know. So drones can do very, very destructive things. They can. Drones can spy on people. Drones can do reconnaissance and spy and, and, and with different types of camera, look into the, like use infrared heat and, and tell where you're standing in your house or sitting in your house. It's crazy. You're like playing a video game where you're pretending to shoot people and you're going to be one of the last hundred or you'll just drop in on another bus. Um, or or um, you could be doing something else now. Meanwhile, somebody else has a remote control somewhere else and they're looking at you. And they're doing some reconnaissance and figuring out where you are. So they can spy on people. That's not the greatest thing that drones can do. We have like 30,000 drones, by the way, the NSA, in the skies of America doing reconnaissance on us. All right? That's part of the NDAA bill. You can look it up. 30,000 drones in the sky by 2016. And it's after 2016. So look up. And they'll look down. Anyway, so that's going on. That's cool. I'm not sure if they even know where River Valley Ranch is because of all the mountains. They'd probably like short out their signal. and. But then you also have drones can do positive things. Spying, killing people, not necessarily the best things in the world. They can deliver packages. If you live in a large city, like a very large city like New York City or L.A., and I don't think you do because you came all the way here. Anybody from New York City? You came all the way here this week originally or now? No. Why are you even raising your hand? Anyway, so... They can deliver packages, and instead of the two-day delivery with Amazon Prime, they're like, we'll see you in two hours, and then this thing just comes to your porch. They can't, they'll never be able, I don't want to say never, because we keep doing things I said we'd never be able to do, but I'm not sure that they'll be able to pull this off in rural areas, even as drones get faster and everything else, because of the shotgun-wielding farmers. I just don't know that they're ever going to be like, they're going to be like, I'll tell you what I need to do today. I need to shoot three drones. I've ordered three separate things from Amazon Prime, and those targets are coming right now. Check, check, blam! Check, I mean, like, like I, I can see that happening. They're like luring Amazon to their death. All right, so that's something that drones can do too. But drones, in the hands of the right person, in the hands of the right skilled person, with an HD camera mounted to it, can give us beautiful photography that we've never been able to see before. When I was younger. I was watching football games and, and, and baseball games where you would see just like it would cut to this one stagnant picture of the top of the stadium because they had a blimp, a blimp up there with a photographer. And it's like, it's not like they can be like around the stadium. It's like the blimp's like. They can get no, like nothing. It's so terrible. And now we've got these awesome abilities to get really cool. You might have seen a video about River Valley Ranch before you got here and thought, whoa, those, that, that's a sweet video. It's because they use a lot of drones in their aerial footage, not to shoot campers or spy on you, but to get really, really cool stuff. So I've got a video that I want to show you about a bunch, of, a bunch of really cool footage that was taken with a drone, and then I want to introduce you to the guy who actually did all that footage, who's here tonight as well. So here we go. Here's a really awesome video.
All right. So that guy that you already know and that you've seen all week up here who has his, his side business and he also does a lot of this stuff for River Valley Ranch as well is Taco. And I'll bring Taco out with his drone. This thing is like a mega drone. It makes my BB-8 look very small and weak. And Taco's going to turn it on for us. Let me get out of the way because it could probably chop my hand off. I can feel the wind from here. Awesome. Awesome. Give Taco a big hand. So with the help of that drone and a couple other drones he's used, he's taken all that footage you saw, none of that stock footage, nothing we found on the internet, all by Taco. And, and a, a drone has all of those different purposes. And yet, in the hands of the right person, it can be extremely beautiful. Where you're looking at that stuff being like, wow, that's so awesome. Or I've been to Camden Yards. I was at Camden Yards this past week, um, but I didn't get to see it from that angle because I can't fly. And, you know, like, I, I'm like, wow, it looks so much better up there than it did with me. Like, yeah, this is a cool ballpark. I mean, I can't even take it all in. I'd have to go panoramic, set myself for panoramic and go like this. But, like, he's up there, like, taking in the whole thing. And you're the same way. Because God gave us free will, because God gave us choice, you can be incredibly destructive as an individual. You can, you can speak harm and hurt into somebody else's life. There are things that people said about me as a young kid in elementary school that still stick with me, that I still think about. That I, a guy said something about the way I walked one time, all right? And I still think about it. Like, I still, like, try to not walk like that. I don't even know what that was like, but I was a second grader, and I can't even remember exactly how he said it, but it's still, I still get self-conscious about it. It's something I should have let go of a long time ago, but I find me thinking about it sometimes. You know, that kind of stuff, we can speak destruction and harm and death right into somebody else's existence. We can say things to ourselves that aren't true. We can say things to ourselves about how worthless we are, about how nobody cares, about how we, we don't look like we should look, and we're not as smart as we should be, and we can speak all of those lies into ourselves. and it's like taking that drone and putting it in the wrong person's hands and arming it with missiles and just taking fire at yourself over and over again, or other people over and over and over again. We can gossip about people. And we can start ruining friendships and get stabbed in the back by others and stab others in the back. And I'm not talking about with knives, but with our words, we can do those things and we can be like that spy drone. And we're in that person's hand who's just like, you know, what can I learn about this person that I can say so that other people will laugh and I'll feel better about myself. And we can do those things. Or we can place ourselves in the hands of an almighty God who has the very blueprints to your soul, who designed you for a purpose who, who des desired a relationship with you, who created you for relationship. This world was created for God's glory so we could see how awesome and powerful he is, but you specifically were created for a relationship with God. He wants to be your friend. 
And many of you made that decision last night to start that friendship with God. I think that is so awesome. And he's not out to get you, and he's not waiting. Well, they said that they were going to surrender everything, but let's just see if they mess up from here on out. He's your strength. He's the one who wants to walk with you and to help you when you fall, to help you get back up again and to keep going with him. That's who God is. He wants you. He doesn't just, and here's the thing about God. This is, this is, this is big, and I hope, I hope you grasp what I mean by this. God doesn't just love you. He likes you too. You know, I love my family. I love my son who's in here. I don't know where he went. He was sitting back. Hi. I love my wife. I don't always like the people I love. There are moments where I'm like, I don't really like him right now, but I'm, I always love him. I don't always. Yeah, she's probably thought this about me. I won't say I've thought about her. But she's probably thought before. Smart man. I shouldn't have shaken. Did I shake my head? I didn't mean to out loud shake. Anyway, so she's probably thought about me several times over the 17 years we've been married almost. Man, I don't really like him right now, but we love each other, and it's a commitment that we keep to each other. God's not like, you know what? Sometimes you guys make me so stinking sick that I just don't like you, but I did die on the cross for you. You did ask forgiveness, so I have to love you. That's not God. God likes you, and he loves you. He likes you with your, all the mess that we're in. He likes us anyway. That, and he loves us too much to leave us there. You know, if you saw your friend hurting and everything, I mean, yeah, your initial reaction is, especially as a guy, might be to point at them and laugh first. But after that, when you see they're really, truly hurt, you help them up. And God knows where we're at. He knows our, our insufficiencies, the things that we can't measure up to. And he says, I can make up the difference in you. But I have so much more for you than this. God doesn't, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't just suck us up to heaven and we're there. He doesn't do that and say, you know what, now you're going to be with me forever because now we can have a relationship. You can have a relationship with God here and now, and there's no real reason to leave us here unless he has a purpose for you here on earth. Like when I gave my life to Christ at 15, and the only thing holding me up away from having a relationship with God was this big impenetrable barrier of sin. And God knocked that down. I can have a relationship with him. Why not just put me up in heaven with him right now and let's have that relationship? Why have the barrier of earth and all the imperfection and all the out of control stuff? Because God's not done with me. He's got a, he's got a reason for leaving me here because he doesn't just desire a relationship with me and with you and with you and with you and with you and with you. He doesn't just desire a relationship with you. He desires it with everyone he's created. He's got a purpose for each person. There's never been a person that existed that God's like, yeah, I don't really like them. They're just here to mess things up for everybody else. No, he desires a relationship, whether they choose a path like Adolf Hitler chose or whether it's a little old lady who's always been nice to the people on her street. Both of them are born sinners. Both of them need Jesus. And I truly, honestly believe if Adolf Hitler had asked Jesus for forgiveness, he would have received that because that's how much God loves us. No matter what you've done, there's nobody beyond the scope and reach of his love. And we don't have to, we don't have to choose his love because there's always a choice when it comes to love. But I wanted to share with you tonight what it looks like to be in the hands to let God be the drone flyer for you. I don't even know if that's what you call the drone flyer or the drone pilot. Thank you. I knew there was a real term for it. Anyways, that, that, God would, that God would allow you, if you allow him to be that drone pilot, he would allow you to accomplish what he's left you here for. 
And when I say left you here, it doesn't mean left you alone and God will see you later when your body wears out and you'll go up to be with him. He doesn't leave us alone. He gives to us the Holy Spirit. He gives to us part of, and this is, this is a deep thought, but God is three people in one, which people can't be three people in one. I mean, schizophrenic people, sometimes you think, well, maybe that person, multi-personality. No, God is three distinct individual people that is also one in its entirety, like an eggshell and the yolk and the white are all egg together. But God can't be separated out. Some people can just have egg whites with something or use it for meringue on, on a pie. God cannot be separated out. He has to be all three, and yet he's one at the same time. And that's deep, and we could talk about that for hours and hours. But the key is that God has never left us alone. He comes in and dwells us when we give our life to him. And he's that early warning system in us that says, ah, that's not the best idea for you. I don't want you to have any fear, shame, guilt, or regret, so that's not a good path to go down. He's that one who helps us understand what we're reading. Maybe before you came to Christ, maybe you're one of those 42 that have tried to read the Bible before and you didn't get it. Ask God to illuminate that for you now. It's like shedding a light on it, and he will help you understand it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit also goes with us to tell other people about God. In Acts 1.8, it says we'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon us so we can be his witnesses. That's what he takes us out to do. I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians, and we'll throw it on the screen too. 2 Corinthians 5, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's not a story, but it's telling us what our, what our marching orders are. And it's appropriate for the last day of camp to have marching orders, to go do something with what we've learned, with what God has given us, to say, you know what? I gave you this remote yesterday, God. I'm not taking it back on Friday when I leave. I'm gonna leave it in your hands because I've done a lot of destructive things and I'm capable of doing a lot of destructive things, but I've given you the reins to be my pilot. Not like the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. He should not be in the seat beside you. He runs a show. And when he does, some beautiful things can come out of it. So check this out, verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. That's talking about respecting God. We try to persuade others. We try to persuade others. We're not, we're not like trying to twist people's arm and we're not trying to manipulate people into following Jesus like we are, but we try to persuade them. Like, dude, the reason why you're always like so unhappy and everything else, you've, you've got to turn over control to God. You've got to. It, you, you've, you'll never feel as joy-filled and peace-filled as, as, as I do when I'm giving that control over to God. You've got to try it. You've got to, you're, we're trying to persuade Others. Paul says what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And then check out what Paul says. If we're out of our mind, like if we look a little crazy, as some say, it's for God. So people were calling Paul crazy where he was going around. He's like, if we do look crazy, like some people say, that's for God, because like we are, ah, we're crazy for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, if we kind of act a little normal, it's because we're trying to act normal, so you won't think we're crazy. But when we're crazy, that's because of God, because we just love him so much. For Christ's love compels us. In other translations, it says constrains. 
Um, and the King James says constraints. In the ESV, I don't know if you guys have ever read that translation, but it's a really accurate rendering of the original language in the Greek. It says controls. Just like that drone pilot. Christ's love controls us. That when we truly understand how much we've been forgiven, we go out to try to help other people realize how free they can be too. How people who are just swimming in out-of-control reality can realize that's exactly where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be out of control in our life because God's supposed to be in control. And when God's in control, we have a peace about the things we can't control because it's not on me. I was never given the responsibility to make sure the weather was perfect and that everybody was well. That's not my responsibility. I'm out of control there, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to just be anxious. A lot of people were giving up anxiousness and things like that I saw on the board up here. I don't have to be anxious about those things because I know my God's got it. And even if he doesn't take me out of a circumstance, he's going to walk with me through that circumstance. In the video we watched earlier, they were talking about different Bible stories, and they said Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through the fire. They went into this fiery furnace that they were forced into because they wouldn't bow to a false idol. And right before they went in, they told the king, they said, our God is able to deliver us from this fire. And that's what actually happens. Like God himself comes and steps down into the fire with them, and they're like, wait a minute, didn't we throw in three people? There's four people in there, what? And they bring them back out and they're not even touched by what happened in the fire. But that's not the cool part of the story, even though it sounds really awesome. Like, I'd like to see that. The cool part is they said, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. Like they understood that God still loved them, even if God allowed them to go through something terrible. One of the biggest lies that's even permeating the church Like, I don't know if you guys go to church or what, but the lie that kind of even goes in with believers, and I see it all on social media and stuff, somebody's like going through something really, really bad, cancer or whatever, and they're like, or or their kid dies, and they're like, don't, just remember, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it infuriates the person who definitely has more on them right now than they can handle. How could they handle losing a loved one? How can they handle cancer? Are you kidding me with this? God won't give me more than I can handle? And the reason it infuriates them is because it's not true. The Bible doesn't say that God will never give you more than you can handle. It says he'll never allow you to go through more temptation than you can handle. Whenever you're tempted, he'll make a way of escape. That way of escape is usually no. It's just the word no. Hey, you want to do this? You want to try? No. That's the way to escape. It's not like he has to put some giant exit sign or whatever. We don't, we're not forced into doing the things that we choose to do that aren't good. We just simply choose them or kind of cave to peer pressure. God always gives us a way out of that. But there's a lot of times we go through more than we can handle. That's why we need God, because we can't handle it on our own. And as long as we're holding the remote to our own life and being our own pilot, We're going to go through some junk that we can't handle. We're like, I don't know if I can get my drone through this. Like, oh my goodness, there's vines everywhere. Oh, I'm caught in barbed wire. I'm in some power lines. My drone is, I mean, like, what is going on? I can't handle this. It's like, yeah, you weren't supposed to be flying it in the first place. What is that remote doing outside of the hands of God? So Christ's love is what controls us. It compels us to go out and try to persuade other people that this is a life worth living. 
Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Jesus' death is good enough for every single person because he was perfect. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we'll regard no one from a worldly point of view. We got to realize, hey, these aren't just random people who might be in your way at some point. These are authentic masterpieces created by the heavenly artist that he desires to have a relationship with, that there's not a person I'm looking at right now for whom Christ did not die. Each one of you was on God's mind when he developed the plan to come and redeem us, to buy us back, to say, I want them. I want to be friends with them. Each one of us. So we can't regard each other from a worldly point of view anymore. And they said, though we once regarded Christ in this way, that's before he rose from the dead. And they're like, oh, he's God. In this way, we do so no longer. Now check out verse 17. Therefore, and this happened to many of you last night, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And the understanding the original language is that all things are becoming new. It's not day and night like, boom, you know what? <laughs> I don't have any of those struggles anymore. Those same struggles are going to keep pulling at you. And we give the remote over to God and his hand, and he helps us through those things, and he walks through those things, and everything starts to become new. It's like he takes this, the most wrinkled fabric that you can, and he takes an iron across it. He remembers to remove shirt before ironing, by the way, and he puts that down there, and he starts to take out wrinkles that aren't supposed to be there and says, oh, Nate's still got this really stubborn wrinkle. I'm going to have to spray that one with water, turn it up the steam, and right across there. And sometimes that can be painful because you're like, you know, I don't know if I want to let go of that thing. But God's like, I've got to iron it out if you're going to be who I've decided in eternity past that I could make you. If you're letting me do this, let me do this. And we become that new creation. Now check this out. Then he gives us a job. Here's our marching orders. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. I just use a really big word in two different forms, reconciled, reconciliation. Let me just break that down for a second. It means to bring back into a right relationship. We were always meant to have a relationship with God. Sin messed that up, and reconciliation is bringing you back into that right relationship. It's saying sin's in the way. Let me move that. Come here. I love you, and I like you, and he pulls us up to be with him. It says, here you are in this relationship with me. And here's what that means, not counting people's sins against them. He erases all of that and says, we're going to start fresh. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In order for this to get out, Taco hit on this earlier this week. He said that scripture says that if we stopped praising God, then the rocks would cry out. Like, God has to be praised. He's so glorious and so awesome and so powerful that he's going to be praised. If we don't do it, creation itself will scream out. But there's no plan B in Scripture for how people are going to hear about Jesus. He has given to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, because of that, because he's given us that message, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Somebody yelled out. What's an ambassador? Yeah, somebody who represents something. So... Like if I, if I met the ambassador from Mexico and we're like talking and he's, he's like, I'm the ambassador from Mexico. And I'm like, I'm 
a guy from North Carolina, and we're just talking, and we're talking about what, him being the ambassador. I'm like, dude, I love tacos, like good, authentic tacos. And he says to me, what's a taco? And I'm going to start asking him some questions now. Like, you know, you know those big hats and everything? He's like, cowboy hats? I'm like, a sombrero. He's like, what's a sombrero? Now, here's the thing. When somebody starts doing that and you're, you, you know some things about their country, just a little bit, and taco and sombrero is just scratching the surface. I know there's way more interesting things about Mexico than that. But he doesn't know the answers to even the easy stuff. He's an imposter. He's not representing Mexico. Nobody sent him here to tell us about how awesome Mexico is and why I should vacation there. Nobody did that. He's a liar. And this says that we're ambassadors of Christ. That means when people look at us, if the remote's in the right hands and the right person's piloting our life, they should see a little bit about what it is like to have a relationship with Jesus. They should see a little bit about who Jesus is. And I shared with you about my friend Matt who got in that fight and he stood down to the fight because he knew Jesus now. That was an ambassador of Jesus. And it spoke to me a lot about who Jesus actually was. I could see it in him. I didn't meet the president. I met an ambassador. I didn't meet the king of kings who sits on the throne in heaven. I met one of his representatives. And it caused me to really think about it for a year and a half until I actually gave my life to Jesus, thinking about that in my mind as it was happening. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, and here's what that is. It's a representative, but it gets clearer than that. It's as though God himself were making his appeal through us. That means God sees somebody who's thirsty and wants to meet their need. We could sit back and say, I wonder why that person doesn't have any water. Or we could say, wait a second, I'm the ambassador here for God. I need to give that person water. We see somebody by themselves look like they could use a hug or somebody to talk to. And we're like, wow, where are you at for them, God? That could be our response. Or we could say, wait a minute, she needs or he needs an ambassador from Christ right now. And that's me. So I've got to go do that. As if God himself we're making his appeal through us. And if people are going to hear that Jesus can save us from our sins and develop a relationship with us, they're going to hear it from his ambassadors. Sharing your faith with somebody is as simple as this, that it's shaped like a cross. This is who I used to be. Just a couple little tidbits about who you were before Christ. This is what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He gave his life for me and he rose from the dead three days later. We could have a relationship with him if we put our faith in him. And this is who I am now. This is who I was, this is what Jesus did, and this is who I am now. That's all we've been left with. You might think, well, how, much, how many Bible verses do I need to know, and how can I talk somebody into it? All you've got to know is how you got there. One man said Christianity, Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where they found the bread. It's that simple. You wouldn't be like, somebody's like, I'm hungry, where'd you, where'd you get that food? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I just, I, I have the food. You're like, well, you know where you got the food. You can share with them how you got that. As though God himself were making his appeal through us, then he says, we implore you or we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be brought back to God. And the last verse we're going to look at tonight, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles in Narnia, called that the great exchange. 
that God would say, bring me your trash and I'll give you my treasure. Bring me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. Jesus didn't take your sin on on the cross. He became your sin on the cross. Can you imagine waking up tomorrow morning with memories of crimes and of terrible deeds that you've done that you actually haven't done? Where you're really hurting people, where you're taking advantage of people, and these are all things that other people have done. Maybe people on death row, maybe people who've done just terrible things, and you're like, I don't remember doing that. What happened last night? How much pizza did I eat? How much Snapple can one man consume? You're like, and you're trying to think, what happened here? And having those memories, you'd be like, how did I hurt those people? Jesus on the cross became our sin and all of the stuff we've done and the worst things that you can think of throughout human history, all those things that were done were all of a sudden as if he had done them. That's the only way he could take our punishment was to become guilty himself. And he became our sin. He'd never experienced sin before. Sin is the opposite of God. It's all the stuff he couldn't imagine himself doing. And he became those things so that he could take care of those things for you. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it works so much better when he's in control. If you haven't yet and you're like, you know what, that, that sounds so awesome. I should have done that last night. You can still do that. You don't have to do it in a church service. You don't have to sit on the hill out there. You don't have to do it at camp necessarily. You could do it in your small group later. You could pull a leader aside. You could find somebody else that you saw come up here and write their name on a card. And you could say, hey, how did you do that? How did you give your life to Jesus? And they could say, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did, and this is who I am now. Any believer in Jesus Christ can lead somebody else to Jesus Christ. They're like, yeah, I found a friend. Let me come show you him. Let me show you how you too can be free, how you can live your life out of control and yet with peace at the exact same time. Would you guys bow your heads with me tonight? You've been really awesome this week, super attentive, and I've just super appreciated that, by the way. I just want to pray for you. Pray that God uses you. A lot of you guys are going to go back. You're going to start school in just a couple weeks. I know that's not the best thing you want to hear, but that place is a mission field. You've got a ton of people there who don't know what it is to have a relationship with the God who created them. And he's given you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you that, me that message of reconciliation, that ministry of reconciliation. He's calling every believer to that, to tell other people, to persuade other people, to compel other people, and to allow his love to control you. God, I thank you for these students, for each guy and girl here. Lord, if there was no one in the room that was a follower of Jesus other than those 42 last night, you could still do amazing things and turn Maryland and Pennsylvania and Virginia and wherever everybody's come from upside down. But Lord, I believe there are more believers in this room than even that. Ones who already knew you before this week, ones who maybe had started pulling back on that remote and running certain areas of their life. God, there are students this week who according to these chalkboards, according to their own words, have given areas back to you. Lord, make us beautiful footage. Beautiful footage in your files. 
that you would say, you know what, this is, this is part of my art. My art isn't just the, the person that I made, but it's the life that they're living, that I'm painting out brushstroke after brushstroke. I'm making them something beautiful. So God, I pray that we would be that putty in your hands, that you would mold us, that people would see Christ in us, that we would be a good ambassador, a good representative, as if God himself were making his appeal through us. Lord, that you would send us to be Jesus to a world that doesn't know him. We thank you for what you're going to do and the lives of those who have come to Christ this week, who have surrendered more areas of their life this week. God, who've just needed to get away and press pause on their life for a moment and focus again on you and bring everything back into perspective. God, help us not to leave it at River Valley Ranch you don't just dwell here you go with us and you never leave us and you never say you don't know us because you love us and you like us too in Jesus name Amen We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode Discover all of the year round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com Thanks